What's up, OUXers? This episode was Scott Kuby, the author of Writing for Designers and the Brains Behind the Concept of Content Ecosystem Mapping, was so good, it's spilling over into an OUX happy hour. So near the end of this conversation, I actually <laughs> whip out my own attempt at the content ecosystem of my OUX content world. And a link to that diagram that I show him uh, is in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. And so many light bulbs started going off as he started giving me feedback on my my <laughs> misguided first attempt. So uh, we ran out of time on the podcast, but at OUX Happy Hour, which is happening at noon this time, uh, noon Eastern Standard Time uh, on March 3rd, 2022. So at OUX Happy Hour, Scott will continue working through my content ecosystem as an example. So make sure you sign up for that and join us live for this. Uh, we always do a few breakout rooms during happy hour. We do a lot of Q&A. So this is a great way to meet others that are interested in content and information architecture and structured data and, of course, object-oriented UX. So go to meetup.com slash object-oriented UX or find the direct link in the show notes. Okay, so one other thing before we get into this conversation, I have to tell you, I already tried something out that I learned from Scott in this episode. So one of the benefits of a content ecosystem map is actually to show your team or your client or your stakeholders how convoluted your ecosystem actually is. So you can create a current state and then you can create a recommended state and you can show that contrast. And I was thinking, this is like a content a content ecosystem map and what I call a system model are very, very similar. It's just the scope of them are different. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the episode, a lot more in the episode. But I was thinking about this and I was like, this would be so smart to do for a system model. And often, I mean, I will often skip system modeling and go straight to the nested object matrix just because it's so much more scalable. But the nested object matrix, one thing that it doesn't do, it doesn't really show you that level of convolutedness if the connections, if you have potentially too many objects and the connections don't make a whole lot of sense. So with a system model, you can much e more easily show that contrast visually. So I actually did this with a uh, with a recent client and it was just so helpful to see the to see that contrast between the complexity that they're currently dealing with and maintaining and this potential future state of a much more simplified clean version of the system model. So Scott does this with content ecosystem mapping, we could do it with our system modeling and I believe every OUXer is going to be really excited about what Scott's talking about. It's kind of like it really does feel like OUXing your organization um which is just kind of mind-blowing to think about. So this is really cool stuff. I really hope y'all enjoy the conversation. All right, let's go talk to Scott. Welcome to the Object or UX podcast, a podcast about tackling complexity head-on, gracefully organizing massive amounts of information, and designing scalable, future-proof, and of course, naturally intuitive object-oriented user experiences. An OUXer is a powerful blend of information architect, business analyst, facilitator, and UX strategist. If this sounds like you or what you aspire to, you are so in the right place. I'm Sophia Prater, UX designer, chief evangelist of Object or UX, and your host. Let's jump into it. Scott 
Kubi. Welcome to the Object or UX podcast. Hey, Sophia. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yes, I am so excited for you to be here. Uh, so I got to say first, loved the book, Writing for Designers. Uh, it's a quick and easy read. It is such a practical guide to just writing in general. I know it's more geared toward interface writing uh, for UX writers, but I'm already using a lot of what I learned in my newsletters and in my articles. Uh, so thank you for that. I highly recommend the book. It is Everybody should go buy it right now. Uh, but my favorite, actually my favorite part of the book is actually one of the last lines. It's from your bio. And I mean, which is says a lot because there's a lot of gold in this in this book. So in your bio, I think it's the end of your bio, you say, uh, Scott loves a good framework and finding ways to make esoteric design topics a bit more practical. And I read that and I was like, oh, we're going to get along. Like, you could just like <laughs> copy and paste that into my bio. Uh, it's basically like that. This is what I do. So. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, Perfect. What, I appreciate that. Yeah. What, what do you think it is about your personality that like you like the design of the design process? You like to make frameworks and just kind of like making these esoteric things more practical. Like, where does that come from? Boy, you know, if I could totally unpack that, I'd probably be a happier, healthier person. I don't, I don't totally know. Let's um, psychoanalyze you here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I think, you know, candidly, I, I think there's a bit of um, anxiousness and awkwardness in, in my personality and, and my whole life of just wanting, I, I really like uh, moderated experiences. You know, I'm ha like, I'm more comfortable at a board game night than just a house party because there's, there's a structure there right yeah. it's like okay we're going to start playing the game at some point game has rules follow the rules play the game everyone has a good time you say thank you you know everyone goes home uh and so i've just always been like to alleviate the anxieties that i have like i, I just like to unpack how things work mm -hmm. uh and so like feeling like a little bit of an observer um i, I don't think i'm unique in this personality in, in the ux industry but I, I think a lot of folks that i i know in this field uh, they they like to observe from a distance to a certain extent and get a feel for how things work. And uncovering that and describing it tends to be more interesting than like actually participating in it. So like once I've sort of like gotten a feel for the thing and what makes an organization tick or what makes a product team tick or a given um, technique or methodology in our industry, then like, I you know, my own interest for like then going super deep and continuing to practice it, it kind of wanes at that point. Like I want to uncover how something mm -hmm. else works and, and learn at sort of the meta level, how it all fits together. So that's, that's really interesting. And we definitely have that in common as far as like liking to, structuring social situations. Um, I'm definitely the person that like after a trip, I'll want everybody to say like, what was the high and the low and the weirdest part? Like I'll have like, like for conversations, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll like create little frameworks or like I'm the person at Thanksgiving who wants everybody to go around the table and say three things that they're thankful for. Like that's, that's me. Um, creating, uh, creating like little games around, um, around get, even getting to know somebody is, um, just, I love that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So there are so many questions I did have actually about the book. Maybe that's another episode. But what I really want to talk about today, because you are the resident expert on content ecosystem mapping. 
So we've really, we've really, really got to get into that. So um, like I said before, highly recommend writing for designers. Just anybody who writes, go uh, buy it. But we've got you here. And this is what we're going to be talking about. So just speaking of like, like I mentioned that you can take that line from your bio and copy and paste it into my bio. I was rereading your content ecosystem series. Uh, I think it's on the brain traffic blog. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was just so many lines. I was like, oh, you could copy and paste that into an article on OUX. Like we're just so on the same wavelength. It's kind of uncanny because we're using these very similar approaches to solve related but different problems. And some of just some of those similarities, like we both start with noun foraging, figuring out what the nouns are. That's kind of where the process, where your process, it seems like where that starts. And I want to talk more about that. But we also are constantly iterating, finding the truth of the system and like creating these maps and diagrams that express reality to make sure that we're all on the same page, right? And that we're getting alignment and that we're using the same word to describe the same things and not different words to describe the same thing or the same words to describe different things. Um, so just shout, just, I, I just want everybody that's listening, all the OUXers, if you have not heard of content ecosystems, just get really excited. Y'all are going to love this. <laughs> Y'all are really going to love this. So, okay. Scott, what is a content ecosystem? Can you give us the high level on what this actually is? Yeah. So there's there's really kind of two parts of it. I, I imagine this is true of a lot of design methodologies, but there's the deliverable and there's the process. So a content ecosystem map or content ecosystem model, I don't have a strong preference. Uh, that's a It's a visual artifact diagram. And effectively, it is a concept model, which I'm sure your audience is familiar with. We can talk more about that. But it's a concept model uh, with a specific uh, point of view, really, which is to document the organization's own understanding of all the stuff that comprises their content ecosystem. Now, that's typically how I talk about it because I'm a content strategist. If you wanted to call it an organizational ecosystem, a product ecosystem, we can get into that too. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a picture of your content reality. So that's the diagram. Um, the process is the more interesting part of uh, for me. I think that maybe what differentiates it a little bit from a lot of methodologies, even content modeling, or a lot of the OUX uh, approaches that you talk about is I'm I'm much more interested, um, and I think a lot of information architects are this way, in who's in the room and who's having the conversation that leads to the creation of this diagram. And what are we all learning from each other, from having to talk about what really is this thing, how does it relate to the other thing, and what's the big idea here? So that sort of process of going through it with stakeholders um, ended up being a big part of my content strategy practice, especially when I was in an agency role. Um, but th those are sort of the two sides of it. And and I definitely want to talk more about that process and the kind of knots that get untangled. But I just want you to know that in my notes here, I say, you know, ask ask Scott Kuby, what is a content ecosystem? And then in parentheses, it says organizational ecosystem, question mark, for everyone, question mark. So when I was looking at these, uh, these models that you built, I was like, yes, this is coming from a content lens, but... It could you could even take a, a little bit of a of a broader approach, and really, it's mapping out all the things that make up an organization. A lot of that is going to be content um, or uh, your content types and your objects. So, objects just being a little bit of a more broad term for content type. So, in a you know in a um, 
in, in some sort of application. Your object might even be a user profile or user generated content might be some of the objects as well as as well as the content that you're creating internally. Um, so so yeah, we're definitely on the same wavelength on that as well. Um, Okay, before we get into process, um, you said something, and I want you to just elaborate on this. You said something in one of your uh, in one of your articles that I just loved. You said you need to become a content ecologist. So, okay, we know what a content we're getting to what, what a content ecosystem is because I want you to paint a more detailed picture. But what is a content ecologist? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, so I think you know I, I'm. My my coworkers always make fun of me for my metaphors because I'll just I will extend and extend and extend. Uh, but, you know, take, extending the ecosystem model to me and it, like being an ecologist is having the perspective that um, looking at objects discreetly, uh, concepts discreetly, and you know, in, in content strategy land for me, a lot of times that's channels and content types. So what we're publishing and where we're publishing it to, maybe audiences. Um, you know, you can you can create personas, analyze an audience to death, create segments. You can model the heck out of a piece of content and have the most robust description of what an article or a press release or a help article is. Um, but that doesn't tell you a lot about the life cycle of that object and its uh -huh. relationship to everything else in the universe. And so if you are maybe a surgeon or a veterinarian, you need to know a lot about in the moment how one animal's body and systems work. And you could go super deep on that and, and study it for decades and, and gain more and more expertise. Um, but if you want to maybe rehabilitate that animal and put it back into the wild, uh, you need to know, like, where does it get its food from? What is it interacting with? What are the risks, opportunities that this this animal has to navigate? I don't know why I switched to animals now, but animals are parts of ecosystems, right? So, so you have to... With um, you. Yeah, you, you've got to consider the whole kit and caboodle. Um, and I think when I talk UX and content strategy, um, my background in particular, I've consulted with a lot of organizations that don't have UX designers. They don't have a content design practice. Um, they don't speak the language that you and I speak about a lot of these design things. They are just businesses or organizations or nonprofits. Um, so content is still a, a fairly accessible concept uh, and talking to them about their content, the stuff they're publishing, and how that's all part of a system is that that's sort of the language that I use um, when I'm when I'm talking with people that that maybe need a little help with getting aligned on these things. So it sounds like it's I mean relationships is a big part of it, and and understanding dependencies and um and then also relationships and time as an access as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you we uh, you mentioned noun foraging. So you've you got to get the concepts together. I always talk about them as concepts, right? So you got to get all the concepts on the table, the brand, the voice, the content types, all of those things. Uh, and the the verbs, especially in the, the specific diagrams that I make, um, those verbs that describe the relationships, those are the most important things. Um, it's beyond calls to action. It's beyond necessarily like, what does the user perform? It's really... What is, uh, and I have to coach people on this when I'm guiding them through technique to, to preview the technique a little bit, um, but I've got two nouns. We need to establish a relationship between them with a verb. The verb that you choose, um, people always get stuck there, and I have to encourage them. Like, will you tell me what's most true? What is the most mm -hmm. true thing that you can say here? Because there's 50 things that you could say. 
right? So the content, just to keep it super simple, like the technical content team, something technical content. So the articles in the knowledge base and the team that produces. Mm-hmm. So do they produce the technical content? Do they own it? Do they manage it? Do they oversee it? Do they plan it? Do they steward it? Do they shepherd it? What, whatever is most true for that organization, that's your content reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not slowing down to have that conversation, to articulate that relationship is, is what I, where I found that everyone keeps tripping over themselves um, and feeling like they're stuck and they can't change things and, and can't, move, uh, can't move things forward. Yeah. Okay. So I think um, before we move forward, we really need to differentiate. So the, the OUXers that, that do these system models, basically entity relationship diagrams um, or a content model that's coming from a content strategy perspective. Um, basically like the things that are produced that are instantiated, you know, throughout, throughout the actual system and how they all connect the difference between those and the types of things that are included in a content ecosystem map. So while we really focus on those objects within the system, those like real things of value that the in the user is seeing and interacting with and consuming and even producing those are included or can be included in a content ecosystem map, but you also include a lot of other things. What are some other types of things that are included in one of these maps? Yeah. So one of my favorites that that starts to unstick a lot of things for people I find is to actually take some of the process that we all go through as designers and content strategists and information architects and so on um, and put those specific concepts into the map. Um, So processes, guidelines, outcomes, and techniques. So one of, you know, a, a great concept or a great noun to include in a content ecosystem map, if you have one, is content model. I don't mean describe oh. your content model in the map, although you could. I mean, put a circle in your diagram that says content model. <laughs> okay. And articulate what that is and how it relates to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, same for design system. Same for content strategy, persona, then you can list out the personas and so on. Um, But what I have found very often is that, especially in very large organizations, which is is most organizations now that that we're all working for, because maybe it's owned by another company and it's owned by another company and so on, and you've got all these systems that you use, um, the, uh, though not, all all the design infrastructure, so let's just take a design system as a simple example, there are very few organizations, unless they're new and design-oriented, technical startups from the get-go, there are very few organizations in the world where the design system encompasses everything. So it is going to describe and control part of your ecosystem, part of your universe, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. And you may aspirationally, in your heart of hearts as a design system implementer, want it to describe everything and cover everything, but it doesn't right now today and if you don't write that down and draw a picture of that truth you're gonna have problems that's where i go into a lot in organizations um and one of the things that i end up talking about a lot from the stage and and when i'm teaching people this um is the difference between isness and oughtness um which i stole from somewhere i'm sorry i don't have an attribution but it's this idea of like very information architecture yeah so you know there's um people always a top question about content ecosystem maps is if we're doing our first one should it be current state or future Mm -hmm. state Mm -hmm. um and i think which of those you choose 
I it depends on your goals. Um, I tend toward making near future state. So everything that's true right now, plus some things that might be true in the next whatever time frame makes sense, quarter, year, what have you. Um, but the more important thing is the map needs to describe what is true about your organization, its components, its people, its teams, its processes, its brands, product, etc. Not what aspirationally ought to be true. So you could have UX and CX principles, you can have brand principles, you can have a vision and mission and vo all this stuff that describes, you know, I I would love to be uh, a little bit taller. I'd love to be a baller, right? Mm -hmm. I, there's all these things that I that ought to be true about myself and the the running I'm supposed to do every day and the vegetables I'm supposed to eat every night. But if I tell my doctor that I'm running five miles a day and that I eat vegetables every night, that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's who I want to be. It's not who I am. And it's not going to help my doctor help me. Uh, so that isness and oughtness, that's what I end up focusing on a lot is, okay, great. We want to do object-oriented UX. We want to make a content model. We want to have a design system. We want to get structured. We want to get serious. Love it. What's true right now? How right. far can we scale this out? What are you actually impacting? And then what are we going to do about the rest? And I love what you say about like one of the one of the reasons to do that is and to also to, to create this this map is sometimes to show how convoluted the system actually is because once you can see and you can communicate like this is what we're dealing with now you can start identifying those places where you can go and you can zoom in and sort of untangle some of those knots do you have do you have any good juicy stories oh my about god <laughs> yes i had the perfect story on that see the light <laughs> um so the uh the most far afield process I ever went through, which is to say like the most divergent from what I would recommend or typically do. Um, but I was working with an in-house content strategist, big financial services firm. So think very traditional, big industry. Products to them are like, you know, it's it's described on five sheets of legalese because it's some sort of financial product. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a digital product. It's not a concept. It doesn't have a brand. It just has a weird name. It's the gold, premium, platinum, whatever. Uh, and it costs this much, much a month and, and so on. So they've, they've got all these products. They've got all these teams, uh, you know, marketing, go to market, uh, content production, et cetera. And, but they were trying, like all, so many organizations right now, to present a unified front. They know that what they need to do is have this one brand presentation. They know that their customers want to come to one.com and find what they need there. They're, they're trying to hide the mess as we all are in our lives now, especially today. Um, and so I started walking this team through the process of doing what is typical for me. Let's get all the key channels out. Let's map the relationships between those channels. Let's identify some of the key products. Um, and the, the noun foraging in this particular engagement so many, so many nouns, right? I'm I'm up at like, okay, now we got 50, now we got 100, now we got 150, 200. And this is just like products and teams and channels. And at a certain point, I was like, you know, let's let's maybe take a step back and start describing some of the relationships, you know, in a more traditional ecosystem model. And he's like, actually, I don't, if you can help me, I don't want to do that. This is the client. Um, because what I want to do is get all of this on the canvas um, and make it look so big and so scary that I can start conversations with stakeholders when they are asking me to do 
new things and publish new things and launch new channels and say, hey, you, buddy, you tell me where on this map with these hundreds of objects, with these hundreds of concepts, where does this fit in and how are customers supposed to find it? Um, so, you know, so we ended up doing, um, it really was more of a, a visual inventory uh, categorized with a lot of, with just the, the most basic relationships penciled in. Um, and using that as a foundation, and, it, it, and as, as he put it, he's like, I want to be able to just scare the shit out of stakeholders and mm -hmm. show them that, like, we're trying to shove, you know, a thousand pounds of ideas through a straw, uh, which is our .com homepage and the few social media channels that we're now consolidating and so on. Um, so, you know, representing reality is a really good way to reframe or start some very difficult internal conversations. Um, because what seems like a simple ask from a team that just wants one more microsite, that just wants one more channel, or can't we, can't we, oh, but we're extra special, pretty, pretty, please, can't we have our own Facebook account for this? Well, no, but here's why. Mm -hmm. And where we're maybe driving to. Um, so again, that's, that's creating a picture of the isness of an organization all the stuff and showing that it's a big mess um, ended up being really effective on that engagement. That That's so cool. And, um, and and how did you, to get into the details, do you remember how, or what some of those categories were? How did you categorize all those things on that map? Yeah. Um, one of the most, I always lean to, again, like this is to help an organization understand themselves to a certain extent. So I'll always lean on their categorizations of things. Um, so a big category was just products, uh, everything that, that to them was something that they sold, um, channels and websites. I think at some point we ended up being, I had to do a little bit of theater and I think we landed on, uh, media vehicles, which I hated for some of the channels because channel was like an internal thing, right? Channels okay. were like the teams that owned product lines and so on and. Whatever. So it's very complicated. Um, and then a big one that I like to inventory, you'd asked earlier about types of things in the map, um, is just to get all the, the systems on the board. So very often, um, I, it's rare in my experience that the dot-com website experience of a, of a given company uh, is one system. It's very often lots and lots of systems. So, right. I mean, just, just look at your your ad tracker, right? There's there's 30 different cookies served up from 30 different technologies. You got Qualtrics surveys going. You've got the thing that that runs the search. You've got the thing that renders the content in the side. I mean, there's so much stuff there. Um, so getting all of those systems mapped, uh, ideally, or at least inventoried, and showing people, hey, if you want to publish the the new page. Uh, that's not just a thing that exists in the content management system. That's not just one object with all the metadata. And look at this tidy little content model we have. Like, great, it's in the content model, but also the SEO team has to do their thing. There's the paid search team and their system. Um, uh, for whatever reason, we have this like ancient oracle thing that runs the <laughs> you know internal search recommendations. So we got to have other stuff for that. Uh, and showing people that that there's there's very often so much stuff behind the stuff that uh, you know the art of user experience to me it's it's we talk about architecture so much but I think very often it's more like being a street magician 
you know, like you're trying to not get people to see that this thing is all stitched together and that there's a lot of tricks that render a given experience or a given page. Um, so I, I love to get all of that stuff on there. And then in regulated industries in particular, this is one, finance, healthcare, I do a lot. Um, getting all of the rules effectively oh, yeah. into the map as well. So does this kind of content have to be compliant in this way? Yes mm -hmm. or no? You know, yeah. does it need to be HIPAA compliant? Do you need to, um, you know, a big one in finance is, I'm forgetting the specific industry term, but they have to be really cautious about superlatives, right? So you can just mm -hmm. describe what a thing is, but you can't say that it's good or great or the best or recommended potentially, depending on the context. But on some channels, you can. On some channels, you can't. It depends on who the voice is. It depends on who the audience is. Is it an authorized or non-authorized, you know, signed in or non-authenticated experience? It gets so complex so fast. Uh, and I love to draw pictures of that mess because it's scary and no one wants to do it. And that's why everything hurts. <laughs> but then it feels it's so it's a relief once you get it all out there and you can see it and you can say, okay, uh, now we can start thinking about where we, where we zone in. Um, I have a direct quote that I love. I don't know. I, think, I don't know if I can find it right now. Something about like, oh, here it is. Being a content strategist is a journey of sorts through your content ecosystem. Your ecosystem map can help you plan that journey and about prioritizing, right? So you yeah. can take a look at that mess and figure out, okay, where do we, like, where are the real terrible weak spots here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so information architecture, as I am fond of pointing out, uh, architecture is a metaphor, right? We're not really doing architecture. So it's it's a metaphor from the building arts. Uh, construction, which is uh, I'm fond of because that's what my dad did. He's a mason and bricklayer, and I've been on a lot of construction sites in my time. Um, and what my dad was really good at um, and taught for a while in community college was surveying, um, which... My understanding is it's a lot simpler now because we have really wonderful technology and laser beams and all these things. Um, but it used to be like a pretty delicate art with very, literally very delicate equipment. You didn't want to drop it and you got to set it up. Um, but, you know, whether the the land, uh, in, I'm a little out, outside of my experience here, but, you know, if, if, the, if it goes up a degree or it goes down a degree and what's, mm -hmm. what's, the, what's the soil composition and what's its relationship to everything around it and are there ordinances and can you only build buildings so? tall like there's there's so much before you can even begin the process of you know if you think of imagine like a sitcom or a rom-com version of an architect with their doodles and their little styrofoam buildings you know before you can do any of that like there's so much just surveying the actual literal landscape and deciding yeah. where's it gonna go that's such a, I love that metaphor. So many good metaphors. Uh, but I love that one because it's so, it's like you're doing a survey of the terrain and figuring out where you, you know, what needs to be shored up, what maybe, and what the rules are too. Like, oh, yeah. we can't, over here, we can't even build to this particular height or something like that. That's a great metaphor. Um, going back to that, uh, that map or, or really any, any map doesn't have to be the particular one that we were talking about. Do you add any other attributes to those objects like what other kind of layers so you definitely like categorizing by type of thing makes sense but like do you add things like cadence like do we get into like content calendar type things like like if I had my newsletter in a content ecosystem and I did actually 
create a, the beginning of a content ecosystem <laughs> for Love Rewired, it. but newsletter is something on there, right? Do I put in things like that comes out mostly every Monday um, or the podcast is every third Thursday or do we even put like... Um, what are some other things like value even? So like, is the value of the newsletter, the value of the podcast, what's more valuable? Where are we getting the most bang for our buck? Like what other kind of uh, metadata do you put or layers do you put on your maps? Yeah, I, I love that question. Uh, so there's there's sort of two ways to answer it. Um, a lot of the, uh, I'll talk specifically about like annotations and layers on the actual diagrams themselves. So nitty gritty. Um this process of creating a content ecosystem map is typically necessarily rhetorical, which is to say, um, like, yes, I'm guiding people to understand something that's true. But if I'm if I'm working, especially as a consulting content strategist, um, I am also trying to shape how they understand their own world. Mm-hmm. Um, so once we're into it a little bit, um, very simple things like uh, taking what is typically the biggest topic of conversations, whether that's the website or the website homepage, right? In organizational terms, that's usually the big circle on the canvas. That's what everyone's focused on. But maybe that's not the most important thing. Maybe I want to shrink that down literally on the canvas, make it a smaller Mm -hmm. circle Mm -hmm. and make something else bigger. And whether that's the audience's need or it's some sort of uh, outcome right, uh, from their experience of the product, you know, uh, whatever it might be. Um, I'll do a lot of that. And I think, um, so that's something I'll do as a layer. Very often, um, content strategists too, what we're doing is we're kind of riding along journeys of change in organizations. So they've got new visions, new missions, new business goals, or or maybe they're refreshing them, refining them. Um, so that's often a layer for me as I'll kind of uh, pull apart whatever strategic infrastructure they have. And maybe there's like three or four key pillars to their new digital strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might like sort of annotate things throughout their ecosystem as like this, you know, these are all part of pillar one. This is all part of pillar two, um, that sort of thing. So, you know, carving out territory. Mm-hmm. So that's one way of looking at it. Um, the other way so of looking at- that's actually, just to, to jump in real, like, yeah, that's yeah. like uh, kind of laddering up to goals. Like it, it, some organization might call it pillars or even values. So for, uh, <laughs> uh, selfishly, let me ask you a question. So for rewired, I might kind of ladder up pieces like this kind of ladders up toward um, spreading object or in UX and this ladders up to- nurturing existing OUXers or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so like if if I was mapping something along those lines and to answer the answer it sort of the other way is, you know, I might not put cadence onto a canvas as a layer. I think what I'm going to look at is, well, why do we have different cadences at all? Mm-hmm. So we might have things with a real frequent cadence because some people want really frequent updates. So this this is a bit of a simplification. Um, but there's people who are like really into it because maybe they're also bloggers or they manage a team. So they want lots of stuff to share with people that they work with or they're mentors. And so they, they need to have new stuff to talk about with their mentees, whatever it might be. There's a need there for, let's call it frequent news updates. To me, that becomes a concept that I put on the uh, canvas. Okay. 
So there's this thing, frequent news updates. What provides frequent news updates? Maybe the newsletter provides frequent news updates. Okay, but what do we mean by newsletter? Do we mean the mailing list or do we mean the weekly periodical that is sent to the mailing list that has a certain name, right? OOUX Weekly or whatever it might yeah. be. Okay, so yes, yeah, so that now goes to frequent news updates. Um, so that is uh, where you, I find I very often have to take a strong hand as a facilitator um, because people will know the nouns of their universe, but they won't know like the meta nouns. Um, they won't know to put something like those user needs, customer needs, ideas, opportunities, whatever it might be. That's often the unarticulated benefits, features, whatever of our, our products and services we provide. Um, and if you can give a name to it and put it on the canvas and say, is this something we're doing? Yeah, we are doing it because this supports this other goal. Awesome. Mm. Now we have an actual fresh, useful lens on our, like, it, it sounds wild to people who aren't in this space, but, but, uh, Christina Halverson, um, is a, a mentor to me that I worked with at Brain Traffic. Um, she talks a lot about content chaos. Uh, and that was something we heard from clients all the time is they just they can't tell you why they're doing all the things that they're doing. Uh, there, there's just so much stuff that happens and gets produced and published and shipped. And it's, it, it's not neatly tied into a specific strategy. And very often that stuff doesn't ladder up directly to like a big strategic pillar or a big bet or whatever framework you want or a KPI. Mm -hmm. Like there's layers in between that are inferred, but, almost never documented. Um, and and that's where I find the real magic happens is that if I can help someone fill in those missing layers between the big thing that the organization says it wants and the little, quote unquote, little things that all of the working people are actually producing, you know, it either connects or it doesn't. <laughs> um, and, and hopefully we find a way that it connects. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so important. And it's just, it's one of those things that just seems like... <laughs> Like such a like such a no brainer. Like why why does not every organization have one of these maps plastered to the wall? You know, of, and the fact that we are, and I, I think it I think it comes along. I, I mean, to, we can get into the reasons why, but I think a lot of it is silos. You know, we're in these silos, and the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. But this seems like a really good tool to start kind of breaking down those silos or at least mapping like there is a relationship between what's happening over here and what's happening over here or duplicative types of things are happening right <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. we're doing more than what we need to do um so i do want to get into like it because it does seem like so much of the art of this is figuring out the level of granularity to go to with your things um and also figuring out the borders of the system, uh, what actually, what's the scope of this map? But I cut you off. Were there other layers you wanted to talk about? No, I think that that covers it fairly well. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different objects I recommend people inventory. Um, one I didn't mention is sort of like uh, brands, I think, end up being really mm -hmm. important and starting to do some of the mapping between brands and products. Um, you know, the, the big brain melter that, that gets people excited about this process initially. So let's just say it's, it's Acme Co., right? So I draw a bubble for Acme, the organization. I draw a bubble for Acme, the brand. I draw a bubble for Acme, the website. Uh, and maybe if it's, a, it's a, if it's a SaaS product, Acme, the product. All four of these things are Acme. Uh, they're not the same thing. 
and we have whole processes and teams you know that that branch off into infinity based on this thing that has the same name uh and, and we don't if we don't start to disambiguate those things um so that that's a big one is is brands but yeah i, I love to know what other questions you have yeah um well that just brought up something new like <laughs> getting into naming things and we that's one of the things we love talking about in this podcast is how naming things is hard um and how and this happens at the object level a lot you know where we have services and like actually like oh this is actually three different things and and even worse we have different words for the same thing so we have uh we call it like I, I give the the example of delta quite a lot working with them and they have flight and trip and leg and segment you know and they're all like some of those are the same thing describe it or different words describing the same thing some of those are synonyms and they all get jumbled together and we're trying to we're trying to design complex b2b software <laughs> and we're using different words and we're mm -hmm. so we're not like communication and vocabulary so do you um before we get into borders and granularity mm -hmm. i feel like that's going to be fun um do you have any like what do you do do you create a glossary like how do you how do you do that disambiguation yeah, um, I think a glossary is a great companion to a content ecosystem map. A lot of times I'll sort of do um, this process first. And then once we've really workshopped it and everyone has sort of the rough understanding of what all these things are, that's a good moment to formalize that understanding. I don't like the map to be a source of truth. I like it to be a tool to achieve understanding. And then a mm -hmm. glossary <laughs> is a much better place to have. Um, a description of the definitions of things, just as a, a content model, um, is a better place to describe all the all the bits and bobs of a given piece of content. Um, so, yeah, I, I like to, you know, put uh, a glossary together or some sort of controlled vocabulary document or spreadsheet. Um, in the process of making the maps, a lot of times what I'll do, um, and what you need to do to get through this, because otherwise people will get stuck and agonize and try and name everything. And I'm sure you do this in your process as well from time to time. Is like. I, I will I will write down incredibly long labels on concepts in the map that describe what we mean. So, you know, there'll be a label that's like the thing that helps customers uh, confirm that the order was placed, you know. <laughs> and if we want to call that the shipping confirmation or the receipt or whatever later, you know, maybe I'll kind of pencil that in. But we all know what we're talking about, right? It's, it's this thing. There's some moment that happens great let's come back to it um and a neat trick i i didn't really start doing this on purpose but what i found is that if you just soldier on and don't get hung up at the at naming on naming moment by moment um you sort of find that there's like a natural fit once you've mapped it out mm -hmm. further you know yeah. it's just like that's what mapping is it's like that thing up ahead it's like is that is that a turn in the path or is that like a, a tree and it's too far away and I can't tell? Is that a rock or a tree? And then you get over, then you go, it's a tree. It's like, okay, well, right now the map says rock. So I can update that. Now it says tree. Great. Um, so, so yeah, you got to have a little bit of confidence, <laughs> I guess, to just soldier past it. Well, I think that's great because I think I often would, I recommend like, oh, just create a placeholder name. And I think it's actually better to... Um, like if you don't know what to call the thing right now, it's a, I, I love the one policy configuration, you know, <laughs> it's, mm. or a policy waiver or something like that. It's one of these abstract things that we know it's an object and it's like 
we could call it that, but that's not quite right. Instead of getting hung up on what to call it or even giving it uh, a, uh, a name that we know isn't going to stick, like just kind of define the thing. Yeah. And if, if it's cumbersome in the, you know, it'll, it'll work itself out. Right. And especially work itself out through the relationships with other things as you kind of like further define the thing based on how it connects to the other things. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, to, to pull in a little bit of the, the, uh, book and the right, the, the work on writing that I do, like not all naming is created equal either. So like some names we just need internally as a team to pick something that's not in a complicated namespace so we all know what we're talking about. Some names, if, especially if customers are going to, interact, going to interact with them, if they're going to be in technical content articles, if they're going to be in the user interface text, we might need an entire discovery and design process for one name, mm-hmm. depending on what it is and how critical it is to the system. So uh, that's when I'm always like, no, 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 no. We're not having that conversation now. This is, this is a survey. This is an exploration. Let's get the big picture down. And if we want to fight over this name, great. Let's cut, let's decide on a process for doing that later. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, levels of granularity. So that was definitely, as I was trying to do this process, um, I can actually, I want to share my screen. I don't usually do this and I'll just, I'll just, uh, let's see. Ooh, there's the OUX.com object map. But what I wanted to show you is, so this is like me just starting to do an inventory on what, and I'll share this somehow. So y'all listening can see this too. Um, but I'm obviously not at the right level of granularity. So I'll just kind of read out some of these. So I was doing products, brands, uh, objects, content types, uh, people, and then technologies and platforms and channels. So for products, I've got the self-paced masterclass. I've got the certification spot, um, ebook coming out soon. And then brands, like I've got rewired. And I actually don't even know if I just this and going through this process actually helped me realize I was like, is OUX.com like its own brand that's different than rewired? I'm not actually sure. Um, and then I start listing out, um, objects and kind of separating them by objects that are on OUX.com versus rewiredux.com and then technology. So we've got like Webflow, OUX.com, Webflow, Rewired UX, Active Campaign, the newsletter. And so I've kind of like glommed together Active Campaign and the newsletter and then channels. I've got some social media stuff. I'm not going to read all of these out, but um, Thinkific, the certification course, Thinkific, the, the self-paced masterclass course. So where do you see here, like, I still feel like I'm not getting the granularity right. Like maybe some of these are too specific and some of these are not specific enough. Oh yeah. And that's definitely part of the the process. So asking that question is part of the process Uh, and you have to do a lot of revisions. You know, I, um, I tend to start, I, I, if, if possible, um, you know, Miro and and Mural and those things are great too, but if possible, I love to start with real people in the room with post-it notes start rough. If I have like a two day workshop, we're going to do this, but with sticky notes. And then we're going to move into more formal digital representations. Um, and so the, for noun foraging here, um, what I'm looking at. So for our viewers, uh, listeners at home, there's a lot of boxes and categories here <laughs> and they, they're really great start. Um, so I think granularity is maybe not the, the issue for me. Um, what I generally start to spot are missing subcategories Um, And I'll talk about that in a moment. And then also lack of specificity. So like under products, we have ebook. Um, And I guess I'll ask, like, is 
is that a known specific object to you? Do you have one thing that is ebook or is that the yes. idea of like we could sell lots of ebooks? There's the one specific ebook that will be coming out soon. Stay tuned. Yeah, right. um, that is like the Orca handbook. It's basically yeah. a handbook on how to do the process. So that kind of thing helps, right? Of like Orca handbook, um, okay. you know, putting that on there specifically. And then you might decide, um, you know, is there a category of thing, even if you only have one, um, like you don't, you don't want a category of one in your site map. Because that's weird for customers uh -huh. uh, and users. But in in mapping an ecosystem and understanding our reality, like, okay, that is like, you might have this sort of notion there of we want like one-time purchase self-service products. You know, there's going to be stuff that someone with a credit card can buy. They don't have to have a relationship to me. Uh -huh. And they can start to wet their feet in the OOUX universe. So if that is part of your strategic direction, giving that direction a name and a category and adding that as an object can be useful. Um, similarly to, I see people. So I know you, Sophia, you're wonderful. I personally don't know Luke and Lindsay. Mm -hmm. So looking at this as a facilitator, I'm like, well, who are the people? Are these personalities? Are these facilitators? Oh, okay. Are there, are, is there more than one category for them or are they all in the same category? Right, right. Yeah, I'm still, my mind is still like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense to, the the products themselves might not necessarily be as important as a product, like a certification cohort spot is totally different than the ebook or even like I didn't even list it, like the, the $7 workshop that you can buy on the site. Like those are those one-time things, one and done. Hopefully it gets, it whets your appetite, but that might be a bubble yeah. versus yeah, and listing so, them all out. Yeah. And so I tend to use the categories um, that you have here and the ones that I talk about in the uh, article series on brain traffic. The categories are really prompts to get you thinking. Um, but once I've used those prompts to generate a bunch of nouns, um, I like to either throw them away or make them explicit on the canvas if it's an important concept to my world. Is people an important concept? Mm -hmm. Is brands an important concept? If they are, put them into the map and map it in relation to everything else. Um, you might find, um, so I'll do this kind of thing. Sometimes I did this with a higher ed client. Um, they were they worked in student life, a lot of student-focused content. And it's an uncomfortable topic for them, but they depend on student activity fees for their revenue. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what they're doing, like it or not, uncomfortable as it may be, because they're all generous, kind, warm, student-focused people, a lot of what they're doing was about generating revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and so they didn't like products and they didn't like to talk about revenue, but we sort of had this bucket of like things that generate revenue. Uh, and we pointed several objects to it. Um, but there's other stuff that was important to the mission that didn't generate mm -hmm. revenue that we mapped separately. Um, you could give those to students, they all felt sort of the same um, in presentation and how you might organize them in a site map or, or user experience. But conceptually for the organization, very, very different. Um, so those that's what I tend to do is like, once you start to get all this stuff out is like, look at what is the strategic intent uh, yes. of this stuff and can I, can I find, it's like starting to see the matrix, right? Like the code in the matrix, yeah. like, 
what is really behind all this different stuff we have? Why is it organized like this? What does it mean right. to have products? Why products? Because I need money. Why do I need money? You know, for you, this might be like, well, this is because I want to be able to remain independent and teach pe- more and more people about this, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Like, I mean, for example, even like having Twitter and LinkedIn as separate things right now doesn't really like, if you think about the meaning behind these and what, why they're actually there for me, it's like, I don't care whether I'm having a conversation with somebody on Twitter or LinkedIn. Like it doesn't matter to me. Absolutely. (laughs) So making that clear, I could probably have like external social media conversations. Right. And that can be the bubble. I don't need to say Twitter and LinkedIn and even medium uh, media might be a different thing because that's more about articles, but still it's more like it's an external conversation that's happening with through comments and tweets and doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, and if, if I, um, I haven't taken a look through your, through your actual content ecosystem. Right. But, um, with the clients I've worked with medium, um, medium is social me- you know it's okay we got the social media team on medium sure but like really like the purpose of medium is like why did we create medium well we didn't have a development team that could set up a blog for us we couldn't ask for engineering resources so medium exists here but really we're going to treat it part and parcel like it's part of the dot-com website and all we do is publish to it and the relationship of medium is to be like a source of content for all these other channels well what are the channels for well twitter actually for a lot of big organizations is mostly a customer support channel Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. linkedin for a lot of organizations is a recruitment channel but but when i go in to uh frankly when i pick up agency work from marketing agencies that don't have the sort of uxia content strategy lens that you and i have um, they'll give me diagrams that they say, hey, here's our content ecosystem map. Mm-hmm. And invariably, it is a list of all their social media channels and all the accounts. But that, that doesn't tell you anything. And that's certainly like not, that's not related to user needs and it's not related to business goals. Um, it's a nice inventory, pretty picture, looks good on the slide. But, but what's all this stuff actually for? Right. That, oh my gosh. Okay. That makes so much sense. And, and what I'm hearing is, is it's going to be different for different organizations. So some organization would want, they do want to separate Twitter and LinkedIn, and they want to make sure it's clearly articulated. What are we using LinkedIn for? LinkedIn is our, is a big part of our recruiting part of the, the ecosystem. And maybe it's connected to the recruiting team and it's connected to wherever we store our job racks. You know, those are all in whatever system. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, and then yeah. Twitter is customer service versus for me, it's just like, I just need a bubble for external conversations yeah. that are happening on yeah. social media. And Twitter is a great example too. So, tw- you know, okay, if I ask an organization, list all your channels, they're probably going to give me the names of platforms, but names of platforms aren't channels in the way that I tend to talk about them. Channels are like where content happens goes to or conversations happen so your twitter timeline is really one channel and your twitter dms are another channel and your twitter if you're big enough and your twitter replies are another channel um and the twitter widget on your dot com is another channel um and those might have four different purposes need to be managed by four different teams have they might you might have different style guidelines that apply to them do you need to apply your voice and tone guidelines to dms that your customer service team is using Mm -hmm. probably not 
so don't say that <laughs> in a diagram. Um, that That's where all the friction happens in organizations. As we look at things and we go, oh, that's Twitter. That's the website. Uh, that's a product. That's a brand. It's all very obvious, isn't it? So why are you asking all these questions? Uh, it's not very obvious. Yeah, it needs to get into the purpose. What is the purpose of all of these? How are you particularly using each of these channels? Um, and audience is another one that you mentioned, another category. So how yeah. are we, using isn't the right word, but like how are each of these, how are we serving each of these audiences? What pieces serve these audiences? And how are these audiences part of our overall business strategy? What is the Absolutely. medium audience versus the meetup audience versus the newsletter audience? Like that might be something that I want to think about. And what is the, how do I want to serve them differently? How do they fit in? Woo! Yeah, I'm going to make a content ecosystem map. Woo. I'd love to see it too. It's it's fun for me to see people make them because the, you know, um, the, I guess the, the bit of encouragement or advice that I would give to folks if they're trying it out for the first time um, is anything I've said, anything you read that I've written is less important than the journey you go on in making it. Um, right. This is this is not this is necessarily not a rigid practice in the way that that some of the stuff that you practice, Sophia, is, and which I love, like the 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 formalness and the rigor of OUX. Mm -hmm. I think is super super cool um, and necessary in this space. Um, this is I, I'm I'm more of an intuitive, right? Rigor is not uh, an adjective people would use to describe me a lot. Like it's it's an intuitive process. Start working through it. If you think that you are getting clearer, right? It's sort of like the eye exam thing. Mm -hmm. It's like is this more clear, more clear, less clear, before or after? If it's getting right. more clear, keep going. If it's getting more muddy, keep going for a little bit because it might be a false you know bottom. But if it's getting worse and worse. Stop, reboot, try different concepts, maybe try a different approach. This doesn't work for everything. Um, but but generally, getting some some people who are enthusiastic, willing to try it, can give you a few hours for a workshop. Um, I, I find once you get started, there's a lot of enthusiasm for it. Um, and take it as far as you need to, and then decide what to do with what you've learned. The, the map doesn't need to stay alive. You don't have to maintain it. You don't have to publish it. You don't have to version control it. Do it learn, make some choices, act on those choices, do it again if you need to. So I have um, I have one last question to wrap us up yeah. um, that I think you'll enjoy. So, so for me, I don't have to get permission to do this. I'm my own boss. I'm going to just do it, right? And now I'm kind of on the hook to do the content ecosystem map before this, this episode publishes so that I can, you know, publish the episode and be like, and here's the thing that Scott helped me do and set me straight on. Um, but what about other folks that are working in big organizations, content strategists, IA folks, OUXers that want to do this? How do they, how do they sell it? How do they get permission? Yeah. Um, if anyone out there has a wonderful answer for this, I would love to hear it. Um, because I, I haven't found one. This is a little bit of an esoteric art. Uh, and ultimately what I found is that if you try and sell people on sense making, which is what this is, right? We we think we're aligned, but we're probably not as aligned as we think we are. We would like to spend some time and energy getting better aligned and making sense of the world. Um, you can't put numbers on that. That's very hard to prove the value of. Um, so I, my advice is to not ask anyone. <laughs> and just start doing it. Um, you can sketch one out yourself. 
I very often start making these. Um, if there is, uh, this is content strategy 101 in my book. Um, if, if conversation is happening about a complicated topic, especially in this, in this remote first Zoom world, um, and nothing is happening on the screen other than people looking at each other, start sharing your screen. And when people mention nouns, put those nouns on a canvas. Put them in Trello, put them on a Miro board, whatever. You can just start doing this while people are talking. Mm-hmm. Like that's how little permission you need. Someone mentions X, someone mentions Y. Is there a relationship between X and Y? Put them both on a canvas, draw an arrow between them and say, hey, Bill, hey, Bob, like what would you say is is true about the relationship between these two things? And then they tell you and, and you're off to the races and you can keep doing yeah. that as long as you like. Yep. Don't ask for permission. <laughs> Don't ask for permission to do your job. And a big part of your job is getting this clarity. And if you don't have that clarity, then yeah, it's the first thing you have to do is get the clarity. And this kind of mapping is an amazing way to do that. And I would say all that advice for those listening, all that advice that Scott just gave, apply that to doing your content ecosystem mapping, apply that to OAUX too. It's the same thing. Don't ask for permission, just start doing it. So cool. What's any, any final thoughts? What are you, what are you working on? What you got going on? Are you speaking anywhere? Are you doing anything cool that we need to know about? Oh yeah. Um, so I just left a full-time role, so I'm, I'm open. Uh, I don't know when this will come out, but I hope that when people are hearing this, that I am still, uh, just trying fun, new experimental things. Um, cause that's, that's, I'm sort of eager to find better ways of talking about the role of content with a, I'm starting to use a capital C on it um, because all the product people capitalize product now. So I'm, I'm finding more ways to have content be a higher order conversation in our industry. Um, I, I don't, you know, content design, UX writing, everyone talks about like fitting it into product processes and, and, my intuition right now is that that's not the right framing. Um, so that's what I'm starting to explore is like, how do we talk about content as something as large as, if not bigger than product um, and, and the relationship between those two things. So um, if people are interested in that, yeah, follow me on, on Twitter or, or what have you. And hopefully I'll be talking more about that in the future. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm on board. I'm trying to do the same thing. I just, I call them objects, but yeah. it's basically, it's the stuff, right? It's that valuable stuff that either you're creating internally or users are creating and you structure it and you build relationships between it. And um, yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. I'll put all of your, I'll put all of your links in the description so people can find you. And thanks so much for being here. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me, Sophia. This is really fun. Thank you so much for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit objectoriented.com slash podcast for show notes. Our soundtrack is Fighter by Ruby Bell, courtesy of Sugaroo Records. Happy OUXing!